Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated in creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on important education issues today. A conversation that brings the state leaders to you and brings a good discussion on the state education issues. I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Pinney. I will be your host this, this uh, evening. Before I get started, however, I would like to have Kurt tell you how to participate. Kurt? Sure. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log onto. We will be monitoring the chat room and will pass on some of the comments or questions to our speakers. To log onto the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Kurt. Uh, this is a special program tonight because usually most of our programs uh, are geared towards sitting school board members and or school administrators and others interested in education. This program is for the school board candidates. Uh, if you're thinking positive as a candidate, we're hoping that this gives you a leg up after you're elected to know what your roles and responsibilities are as a board member. Uh, with me first is, um, I think, uh, our description said Donna Kay, but with me is John Burns from our legal department. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Ray. Uh, also, I have Marsha Levine, who is our county activities coordinator. Welcome, Marsha. Hi, Ray. Uh, and finally, but not least, Terry Lewis, who is a field service representative with New Jersey School Boards. Welcome, Terry. Thank you, Ray. Uh, Terry, before I get started, what is a field service representative? And you... And don't use the term FSR. And don't use the term FSR. We don't like acronyms, do we? No. A field service rep, um, basically, we provide direct services to boards. Um, We go actually out in the field, meet face-to-face with board members on any number of issues um, that they might want uh, counsel on. And when I say counsel, don't get upset, John. I don't mean legal counsel. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do some team-building things. Um, we talk about um, educational issues, uh, what their roles and responsibilities are, how the ethics might affect them. Um, so there's a lot of things that we do. The important thing is that we meet face-to-face with boards and we come out to them. Great. Um, Terry, you've been with working with boards for a long time. What's one of the biggest surprises to a new board member after they get sworn in? Wow, Ray, that is really a tough question. Um, And speaking from my own experience as a board member, you know, I had several of like those aha moments where, you know, when you're first newly elected and you get there and you think that you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and you go, what do you mean I can't do that? So I think um, to put it into perspective, one of the biggest things I think is the teamwork aspect and the fact that uh, a single board member really has no power, and they have to learn to work within the team because it's all consensus, it's all majority vote. 
So you have to learn if you want to get anything accomplished, you have to be able to work within the framework of that team to be able to get um, those items that you want accomplished done. Um, that and the fact that you know we're going down myriad of, and, and John may speak to that later, ethical issues. I think you really need to know when you when you're elected um, if you have any of those conflicts, what you can and cannot do. Yeah, we're going to delve a little bit more into that teamwork and working with your colleagues because that is important. Because they may have to work with someone who they ran against uh, or uh, someone they don't particularly know. So, and they have to be able to work professionally with them, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you may think that it's elementary, but in some ways it's not because if your vision for what you want to do as a board member is not the same as two, three, four, five others, you know, that creates a little bit of tension in the room. So you need to be able to go in as a team player, you know, talk about what your vision is, find out what theirs is, and come to some common ground so that you can all move forward. All right, John, I yes. get elected board member. I'm ready to go take some votes and, and other things. But there's some actually some paperwork I have to worry about before I'm even sworn in uh, or when I'm sworn in. Um, there's criminal background checks and financial disclosure forms. Could you just ex please explain what some of these are? Certainly. Um, there are really, uh, if we can call them forms, there are really three forms uh, that a uh, board member will need to fill, a, fill out once they become a uh, board member. Um, the first of these is the uh, financial disclosure form. Uh, and what that basically is, is that the board member will have to fill out a form listing the name and address and the source of their income and the income of the husband or wife and the dependent children who live with them. And this is based on income for the last calendar year. Uh, board members then file that with the board secretary of the school district. Every year after that, a board member will need to file a new statement for the preceding calendar year. Um, and along with that, there is also a, uh, another disclosure statement listing uh, the employment and contractual relationships that um, the board member or his or her relatives have uh, that being the spouse, child, parent, or sibling that they may have with the school district. Um, and finally, there is the background check. And there was a law that went into effect in May 2011 that says that a board member who has been convicted of certain crimes uh, or offenses in the law is ineligible to sit as a board member. And these are the same... Um, list of crimes uh, for which school employees have to go through. Now, what will occur is um, upon uh, the candidates taking their seat, uh, they will receive um, information from the school business administrator that will guide them through the process. What essentially will occur is that the board member will register online on the DOE webpage um, and then they will set up an appointment with a uh, vendor that the DOE has contracted with to do the fingerprinting. Uh, once the fingerprinting is complete, uh, then um, there will be a letter uh, that will come back to the district um, saying that they have completed that background check. 
Okay, and John, uh, two other things. A lot of times uh, board members have to be aware of any potential conflicts of interest. We talked a little bit – you explained a little bit about financial, but uh, there's two other areas. One, if they have a relative who uh, may work in the district, and if they're also part of a, a bargaining union. Why don't we take the relative first? Okay. Um, there, there are several uh, different kinds of conflicts of interest, uh, as you pointed out, um, and if we take – the relatives first. Um, if, for instance, you have a relative that works in the district, um, you may be restricted in uh, various kinds of votes that you take with regard to that relative. For instance, if you have a relative who is a teacher, uh, you will be precluded from voting uh, and having anything to do with um, any votes that come before uh, the board with regard to that teacher. Um, similarly, if you have a um, contract or claim against the school district, um, that contract or claim might actually disqualify you from board membership if you're unable to uh, resolve that contract or claim prior to uh, taking your seat on the board. Um, and finally, there are also those conflicts that you may have, um, those personal conflicts that you may have to yourself in terms of um, uh, a business interest or um, those kinds of things that may preclude um, your votes on particular things. For instance, if you yourself are an employee of another school district, that may impact um, your ability to participate in negotiations. The key for um, new board members is this. The School Ethics Commission offers an advisory opinion service. And what that service will do is the uh, board member writes a short letter to the School Ethics Commission uh, describing uh, what involvement they have in the school district or what they have that they are concerned about. And the School Ethics Commission will uh, write them a letter back describing how they should um, vote or not vote um, with regard to that particular situation. And basically, once they get that advice from the School Ethics Commission, they can rely upon that letter um, with regard to that situation as uh, basically law so that that way they know exactly how they need to act in that situation. You mentioned the School Ethics Commission. Uh, school board members should also be aware that they're they're guided by uh, the Code of Ethics, uh, which is a little, they may not be aware of the candidates, right? Uh, that's correct. The uh, Code of Ethics is basically um, a list of ten um, responsibilities that uh, board members need to be aware of. For instance. Um, the Code of Ethics is, uh, says that board members will uphold and enforce all laws, rules, and regulations of the State Board of Education and court orders pertaining to the schools. Um, the, it also requires board members to make decisions in terms of the educational welfare of children. Um, a couple of other big ones. Uh, it requires board members to make sure that they uh, carry out their responsibility not to administer the schools, but with their fellow, with their fellow board members 
to see that the schools are well run. And another uh, big instance of the Code of Ethics is that uh, it requires them to make sure that they recognize that authority rests with the Board of Education and that they will make no personal promises nor take any private action that may compromise the Board. Thanks, John. We're talking with John Burns from NJSBA's legal department, uh, Terry Lewis from the field service department, and Marshall Levine uh, from the membership uh, member training uh, department. Uh, if you want to ask a question, you dial 1-347-989-8904 and then press 1. Uh, Terry, um, John covered a couple of things. Uh, one was the code of ethics, and, and, and a couple of things in there are – like one of the things that he mentioned was making sure the schools are well run, and that sometimes talk, talks about board members shouldn't micromanage. What's micromanage mean? Um, I think what you're probably referring to is micromanage means board members are stepping into areas of district operations where they should not. And we kind of look at it like this. You know, if it is a what question, that belongs to the board. What meaning, you know, we want all uh, third graders uh, reading to grade level. We want... Um, all kindergartners to have access to iPads. Um, those are kind of what questions, what the board wants the district to aspire to. Now, as to how they get there, that belongs to the district administration. And that's where board members need to know that's the fine line of distinction. You know, we can decide what it is we want in that district and what we would like it to look like and where we want to go, but as to how it's going to get there, that is up to the administration. And, uh, Marsha, uh, one of the services, I'm just probably repeating what you said, though, one of the things that you do work with school dish, uh, boards is you'll go into a school board, uh, the entire board, and talk about the code of ethics and their role in that. Absolutely. And truthfully, you know, micromanagement or actually what is our role and what are our responsibilities, those are probably two of the most common things that we go in for. Um, because like I said, you know, when, when, when you're elected as a board member, I think what you think you're going to be doing and how you can actually going, go about doing that are two different things. Um, so you just need to learn that you have to operate within the confines of the way it's constructed you know, bring your fellow board members on board, um, and then you're good to go. Uh, Marsha, we were talking about board members getting on board, and a lot of this information, uh, the Code of Ethics, legal issues, um, if, if they're listening to this program and maybe someone does, no one from NJSBA comes to their board meeting, where can board members get some more of this information? Well, the first place to start with finding information is really with our website. There's, there's two ways that, that a new board member or a seasoned board, board member can expand their knowledge. Um, the one is on-demand, as I like to call it, which is the website. If you're looking on our home webpage, it's easy to see. There's, there's pretty quick references on there. You easily have access to the, um, the critical issues that are facing board members to the top news stories that are in education in New Jersey and, and the nation. Um, you also have a listing of professional uh, development opportunities that are coming up. And there's also a spot that says for getting involved, so you're able to see what other options you have as a board member to, be, to participate in your association. 
um, the biggest thing that is accessible on the Internet for them are the online training sessions, which includes live webinars, um, Education Matters, Blog Talk Radio. And then lastly, you have access to our YouTube channel where you have a library of videos and highlights from NJSB events where you're going to be able to go in and see and get information from different topics that have been presented throughout the state. That's all the stuff that's available to you 24-7. Now, the other piece to this is that we do in-person training, and that's where your counties come in um, to, to assist you with that. You have your county associations which bring meetings, four to five of them a year, to your local, what we like to call your backyard, um, that usually involves a piece of NJSBA professional staff members, as well as a topic that is normally pretty pertinent to the ability for you to do your job. Uh, we offer regional training sessions, which usually involve two to three counties, and are normally a, a bigger topic that, that is something on the state level. Then there's statewide trainings like our workshop session that just ended last week. Um, and lastly, aside from the in-person, you always have NJS Bay staff available to you by your phone or through email if, if you have any questions for them. They're always accessible. Uh, John, uh, you mentioned uh, that the School Ethics Commission will give you advisory opinions. Sometimes you you don't have time for that. Is it okay? What's another avenue that a, a board member can act quickly to get a, a legal opinion in, in an well, area like that? Uh, there, there are a couple of um, uh, avenues uh, for board members, um, uh, one of which is uh, the board attorney um, who can uh, um, provide uh, advice to the board member with regard to um, his or her conduct. Um, Another great source uh, for this is uh, NJSBA. Um, once they become a board member, um, uh, board members have uh, access to uh, what we call here the attorney of the day. And um, that is a service that NJSBA provides whereby um, an NJSBA attorney can provide information to the board member about um, uh, past ethics decisions, um, that are, are on file with the School Ethics Commission that may um, uh, be similar to uh, a board member's current ethical situation. Uh, and so we can provide that information uh, uh, to board members. Um, I, I do need to point out, though, that uh, NJSBA attorneys can't provide legal advice um, to uh, individual board members because that is uh, exclusively the role of the board attorney. And what else is the role of the board attorney? Who does, does the role, board attorney work for the, the administration or the board? The board attorney represents the school district as a corporate enti entity. Uh, and um, as such, the board attorney works with um, all of uh, the board members and uh, the administration to represent effectively the uh, school district as a whole so that, um, uh, you know, the board attorney may um, uh, go into closed session and uh, advise the board on various actions uh, that it may want to take. Uh, the board attorney may also work very closely with the superintendent um, in his role as, uh, in his or her role as the chief executive officer um, 
to uh, advise the uh, superintendent on various uh, legal issues that may come up day to day. Um, and, but the key is that the board attorney does represent um, the district as, as the corporate entity so that uh, the board attorney uh, is not the personal attorney for the uh, superintendent um, or, or, for that matter, any individual board member. We're speaking with John Burns from NJSB's legal department, Marshall Levine from member training, and uh, Terry Lewis from uh, the field service department. If you want to call and ask a question, dial 1-347-989-8904, and then press 1 so that we know that you have a question. Uh, Terry, uh, before uh, John mentioned the, the relationship, and we, kind of, we haven't really gotten into it, the relationship uh, between the board and the superintendent might, is a unique relationship and one that might surprise a new board member. Um, what should they know about that relationship? I think it's important that board members, new board members especially, realize that the superintendent is actually a member of the board. They're a non-voting member, but as a member they're entitled to attend all meetings of the board. Um, and it's also important to recognize that if you want to get anything accomplished, you really need to have a good relationship with that superintendent. That being said, that doesn't mean we go out to dinner and we, have, you know, we, we play golf on Saturdays. What that means is each side has to be aware of what its role is. Again, back to the what um, and back to the how. Um, and they have to be willing to work within those constraints to get anything done. Um, I think the board also has to understand that it only employs one person, and that is the superintendent. And anyone else comes with a recommendation from the superintendent. I hope I answered uh, that um, satisfactorily, Ray. Well, I guess it's good enough for me. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. But it, it is the, the most important. It's hard for a board to have success if if there's uh, no success coming from the that position. Well, and you know, we go into boards sometimes, and some of the questions we get are, we would like to meet without the superintendent. And my first question is, why? You can't do anything without the superintendent. You know, go back to what John was speaking about with the Code of Ethics. You know, you're not, you're not there to administer the schools, but you're there to see that they're well run. So by having a meeting without the superintendent, that tells me that you're getting ready to go into one of those areas where you shouldn't step. So whenever you have a meeting, absolutely the superintendent's supposed to be part of that. They're part of the team. Uh, and you kind of glossed over it before, and uh, John will probably I'll follow up with John on this one too, but uh, a board in terms of personnel, the, the only person, they don't hire anyone without the recommendation of the superintendent. Is that correct? Absolutely. The board gets to hire one person, and that is the superintendent. And anyone hired after that must come from a recommendation from the superintendent. If I'm a new board member, though, uh, how do I get confidence that the superintendent's making the right recommendation? Well, I think a lot of it is, you know, we're kind of concerned with process. So if you understand what the process is that they're using, then to me it makes a whole lot more sense when that recommendation is made. Uh, process is a result of policy. 
And one of the board's functions, um, one of their absolute functions, is to set policy for the district. And policy are those guidelines by which the district functions. The superintendent gets his guidance from what you put down in policy. So um, if we're looking at hiring, is that where we were, hiring? Yes. If we're looking at hiring, um, there's a process or there's a policy for hiring in the district. The superintendent then comes up with a process based on that policy. So if I'm a new board member, one of my first questions is, what is our policy? Um, and how does uh, the hiring take place? Uh, who does it? And usually, I mean, superintendents are very forthcoming. They will tell you, you know, we, we have a committee, you know, however they happen to do it in a particular district. You know, we have 300 applicants. We narrowed it down. The principal interviewed. Whatever it is their process is, but they're more than happy to share that. You just have to know um, to ask, you know, which process did we use? That's more important than why this person. Yeah, and, that, and as you alluded to before, that's probably important. In this case, it was personnel, but that's probably important in almost all aspects of school administration. Absolutely, because for every situation that comes up, there is a policy that covers it, whether it's curriculum, whether it's hiring, uh, you know, whether it's uh, student-based. There's even a section of policy uh, where the board's bylaws are. And if you're a new board member, that's probably the first place that you want to visit. You need to know what the bylaws are of the board to know how it governs. Um, and if you're using our policy manual, that's the 9000 series, that's the first place you want to look, look through to know, you know, what can I do, what can I do, and how are we governed as a board? Um, I have a couple questions for John, uh, and um, I'm going to use an acronym and explain what the acronym is. But uh, board members, once a candidate becomes elected as a board member and after they're sworn in, um, there's something called OPRA, the Open Public Records Act, and actually the Open Public Meetings Act too. Uh, board members need to be aware, John, of their personal of their email accounts. Correct? Uh, yes, uh, th that is indeed correct. The Open Public Records Act is essentially a state law that says that members of the public uh, can have access to government records, and the uh, definition of a government record is very broad. And that can include uh, email communications among board members, uh, uh, communications between uh, board members and school administration. So uh, the first thing that board members uh, should uh, do is um, uh, make sure that they are issued some sort of uh, district-provided uh, email address, because this will assist um, the school administration, if there are any public records requests, um, because then they can quickly um, uh, have their IT uh, people um, get those uh, electronic emails uh, that are being requested and can review them very easily um, to see whether or not they satisfy the public records request. Um, and in that way, um, uh, board members uh, then don't have to worry about uh, compliance issues with regard to OPRA. The other issue that comes up with regard to email is uh, 
when a majority of the board is emailing one another, what occurs then is they may be triggering the requirements of uh, the Open Public Meetings Act, also known as uh, the Sunshine Law. And when that occurs, um, uh, board members uh, may be in violation of the Sunshine Law because the Sunshine Law requires that whenever a majority of the board gets together to discuss public business, the public has a right to be notified about that and has, an, uh, has the right to observe that conversation. So if a majority of the board is uh, participating uh, in um, an email conversation, uh, that might violate um, mm -hmm. the dictates of the Sunshine Law. And for those school board candidates uh, out there uh, who are listening, I would say that you become familiar with both the Open Public Records Act and also the, the Sunshine Law or Open Public Meetings Act. Um, and we're doing this in five minutes, I guess, but uh, John can attest I've done radio podcasts just on the technology and for 45 minutes on both those laws. Right, and um, I should point out that uh, NJSBA has a myriad of resources uh, on the Open Public Records Act and the Open Public Meetings Act. Uh, there are uh, various topical articles and uh, outlines on the uh, legal portion of the NJSBA website, and I know that there are various uh, podcasts and other kinds of uh, videos as well uh, that um, uh, candidates who become board members can uh, uh, look at and observe and, and uh, learn more about these uh, laws. Uh, Marcia, and then Marcia, you can also agree that uh, at some of the county meetings that this has been discussed, or will be discussed, I should say, right? Yes, we have um, a legal series that we're doing throughout the state where uh, this is one of the topics out of the four that we're doing. Um, also, it is, it's a topic that comes up often when, when members are speaking with a lawyer that happens to be there for any number of reasons. I mean, we bring John and NGSBA staff as well as some outside lawyers in to present on many topics, and often they ask questions about, about this. Well, and, uh, and as you're saying that, uh, you may have the presentation where why people come to an event like the, those county meetings, uh, but a lot of times people come not just for the, the programming and the information, but for the networking and the discussion uh, afterwards. Is that correct? Yes, they do. A lot of times members find that they feel very isolated within their districts, even though they may work very well with their, their fellow board members. Sometimes they just get stuck in... In, in a spot and, and talking with with other colleagues from across the county or even the tri-county area allows you to sometimes take a look at your your successes and or your challenges and come out with a new perspective or a new idea. Um, often members, especially in the first few minutes of a meeting, because there's there's time there where you can sit down and just kind of talk with each other, they they get ideas and they and they run with them and they take them back to their districts and suddenly something that looked insurmountable to them, they finally are, are finding a way to out of it and, and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's, it's helpful to have that support system locally, and that's one of the reasons the county exists. It's there to help you feel supported and not alone in anything you're dealing with because a lot of what one district has, most of the other districts in the county have either dealt with it or are dealing with it currently. Uh, Terry, we talked about it a little bit 
very early on about uh, the relationship between board members because you are a team. Um, but how do you go about building that team? I mean, like you, you, you mentioned a little bit, uh, maybe a team building exercise, but um, it's almost impossible for the board not to have success. And maybe it is impossible if the board is not cohesive. And I don't mean votes are always 7-0, 7-0, but that there's a, a trust, I guess, a trust there between the members. Yeah, there is, and and I think it's important to note that any time that you have a change in the dynamics of the board, you know, new people coming on, that changes the entire dynamics of the board, something that may have been in place for the last year, two years, three years, um, and that can sometimes send a group into, um, I don't want to say upheaval, but it's, it, it's you know, it's it's scary for some people. So they have to kind of get past that and then start developing their own norms as a group. One of the things that we can, we can honestly tell you is that trust, um, honesty, and confidence in, one team's mem- in, in, in the team members is absolutely paramount um, to making that work. Um, and the only way that you're going to get that is to be absolutely honest in your communications you know, trust that what your fellow board members are telling you is true, um, and then you have the confidence to move on. Uh, John, and maybe uh, Terry, I'll have a follow-up on this one too. Um, board members now get elected in, in you know, uh, in November, first week in November, uh, but they don't get sworn in until the first week of January. So there's a couple months there where uh, they're probably itching to go. Uh, obviously, they can... Uh, uh, attend board meetings. Is there a restriction on what information they can get? John, um, you can go first. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, the um, uh, the board member elect, if we will, if we can call them that, uh, during the uh, time period between uh, the time they're elected uh, in November and uh, when they're sworn in in January, um, can have access to um, those public documents. Um, uh, that the board uh, may wish to share with them. Um, However, um, uh, because they are not yet sworn in, uh, they cannot have access um, to any confidential information um, uh, that the board may be uh, uh, handling or discussing uh, because they are not yet um, uh, full full board members um, uh, in the time between election and the time of um, their swearing in? Uh, two things. One, confidentiality is actually one of the code of ethics, one, uh, one of the items on the code of ethics, correct? Uh, uh, th- that is correct. And uh, the other, and we mentioned the Sunshine Law uh, earlier, uh, and this is one of those areas where some, even though the meetings are all supposed to be in the public, there's something called a closed session or executive session depending on the, the terminology the board uses. And that's part of the Sunshine Law, that there are certain things that need to be discussed, I guess, behind closed doors. Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, there are um, uh, nine uh, various exceptions to uh, having an open meeting. Um, those exceptions include uh, uh, items dealing with negotiations, uh, items dealing with um, uh, confidential matters such as uh, student uh, discipline matters, uh, matters dealing with personnel, um, uh, matters um, uh, dealing with, for instance, um, 
uh, things that may impair uh, the receipt of federal funding, um, for instance, as a more esoteric example of, of one of the reasons for going into closed session. Um, uh, but that the closed session provides uh, an opportunity for the board to have frank uh, discussions about an issue, um, and it protects, uh, uh, in many cases, um, uh, the rights uh, of the individual um, uh, involved, so that that way, if, for instance, uh, the board is dealing with a discipline issue, um, uh, those matters uh, can be kept confidential. Uh, Terry, um, John talked about some of the legal ends. Okay, you still have two months. Is there? Uh, what can a new board member do, in, or the, the host district, to help that transition? Can they have a in in-house uh, uh, orientation? Orientation. I'm glad someone remembers the word. Um, uh, there just are so many they, districts. They get to understand it. Yeah, there are many districts. That actually do an in-house orientation for their board members, and if that offer is made to you as a new board member, by all means, go ahead and accept it. This is a wonderful thing, and usually it involves meeting with the, um, the superintendent, perhaps the board president, maybe one or two other board members, uh, the business official at the school, and they can take you through what you're going to expect at your first meeting. I think the first meeting is probably the scariest, the reorganization meeting only because there's a lot of things on there that the law dictates that the board has to do at their reorganization meeting. Um, so there are a lot of things that you're not going to be familiar with. Um, and most uh, superintendents and board presidents like new board members to be prepared when they hear, uh, you know, we're going to appoint this, we're going to do this, where it comes from. Uh, so it's really important that if that's offered to you, go ahead and take it. If it's not offered to you, you can by all means contact the, the current board president, uh, the current superintendent, and say, you know, I'd, I'd like to sit down and speak with you about, um, you know, what, what I can expect at the new meeting. And if you are not getting anywhere, and even if you are getting anywhere, you can give us a call and ask us. Um, as field service reps, we can pretty much tell you, we've all been on boards, we can tell you what you're going to expect at that first meeting and beyond. Um, we kind of refer to us as like the the, the um, uh, traffic air traffic controllers of the association. Uh, so if your first call is to us and we can't answer it, we can send you somewhere in the organization where somebody can answer that question. Uh, and I guess when we talk about team building, this, you can start building the team in November and December. You don't have to wait till the reorganization meeting. Well, you can start building that team, certainly, but remember, you know, what John said, we can't stay into any confidential areas, right? You're not essentially on the board at that point. But, you know, take advantage of anything that is offered by the district in ways of, you know, attending meetings, uh, because there still will probably be two, three, four meetings between the time that you're elected um, and the time that reorganization comes around where you can actually attend the public portion, see what happens, see the other board members, and, and after the meeting probably have the opportunity to ask questions. Uh, Marsha, I'm a new board member. I listen to this program. And I don't remember anything uh, after I get elected. <laughs> and uh, I'm starting to panic. Is there anything close to home that would help me as a new board member? Yes, what you want to do is go to the county meetup 
which will be happening in your backyard. They are all listed on our website. So the one thing you need to remember at the end of this session is the NJSBA website. Go there, and you will find the sessions that are available to you. Some of them are happening before you get sworn in in January, and some of them will happen after you're sworn in. Um, you are welcome to attend county meetings uh, before you are sworn in. So feel free to contact um, either myself, who I cover the, the southern half of the state, or my counterpart for the north, Kurt Rabovich, um, who covers the northern half of the state, and we will help you either register or get information about those meetings. And at, at those events, uh, actually, there will be representatives like John and or Terry, depending on the territory, uh, and people yes. from policy and labor relations, and they yes. can just ask any question about any area of school governance that they want. Yes, the the beauty of these sessions is that they're actually called we call them mini clinics. Um, you have a representative from all the di all the departments within NGSBA, and it's really driven by what you want to know. So you can come in with all the questions you could possibly want to have answered. You rotate around the different tables to the different departments, and and you guide the conversation and the learning. It's all about what what the members need. Plus, you and have the ability to network at that time too with the other members and other and other professional staff members. So, I would add one more thing to that: is that uh, by statute you have to take some mandatory training for your within your first year. Uh, New Jersey School Board Association has brought about a weekend orientation. Uh, it's a grant, no charge to the board. Uh, uh, both one January 10th through the 12th, and another one March 14th through the 16th. Uh, if you want to spend uh, you know, from a Friday to a Saturday morning, uh, learning about your role as a board member, uh, I, I highly recommend it. And I will see you at that one just as, as well. Um, I'll be making a little roundtable. Uh, John, is there anything, uh, any final thoughts that you have that a new board member should know about? Well, I would tell the board member to be proactive uh, in seeking out advice and information. Um, and that's because there's a lot of nuances in the law, and every situation is different. Um, so, you know, take advantage of the resources of NJSBA and take the opportunity to ask questions. Uh, keep in mind that your board attorney is there to assist you, um, but access to the board attorney uh, varies from board to board, and um, uh, so sometimes it might be uh, difficult to... Uh, Ask uh, the board member, the board attorney, um, a general basic question. Uh, we have a variety of resources here, and um, uh, I encourage all board members uh, to use them. Keeping in mind uh, that one of the best resources is um, uh, the staff attorneys available here um, uh, that board members uh, can reach uh, to get um, information with regard to statutes and regulations. Uh, that are available. Terry, anything briefly from you? Yeah, I think if I had to give one piece of advice, it would probably be um, be very patient. Um, I know as a new board member, sometimes you want to walk in and, and I want to do this and I want to get this done and I want to see this happen. Um, believe me, others have gone there before you. So I think it's important to sit back find out what the district is working on, what its goals are, what its vision is, and be very patient before you try to um, make any large inroads into making any changes. 
Thank you. And uh, Marsha? I would jump on what, yeah, I would jump along with John and say be proactive. There's a lot of professional development and training opportunities that are available to you uh, for your county, regionally, and for the state, and and just take a moment to, to come out to them. They're all free. They're all available. Use us. We're here. We're here to help you and support you. Okay, I'd like to thank Marshall Levine, uh, John Burns, and Terry Lewis for their insights and their uh, participation tonight. Uh, for you school board candidates, uh, I wish you good luck in the race in November. Uh, and even if you do not win, uh, you enhance our system by just by participating. Uh, also, in addition, uh, if you have any questions that you don't feel be covered, you can contact my myself. My name is Ray Penny. My email address is r. Pinney, P-I-N-N-E-Y, at njsba.org. And thank you for joining us on Conversations on New Jersey Education. Good night. Good night, Ray. Good night, Marcia. Good night, John. Good night. Good night. Sounds like the Waltons.